Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday to you. It is a beautiful, beautiful morning in Kentucky, which is where I am. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. It's 10 o'clock. We call this 10 with Tim. We do this every day, Monday through Friday. We're going verse by verse through the Bible, through the Word of God. We're in the book of Acts right now. Uh, the finishing up chapter four today, verses 23 to 37. I am so happy you're with me. God bless you. I know some of you listen late at night. Some of you listen over the weekend. Some of you catch up on your lunch break. Um, and some of you are live with me right now. Those of you who are live with me, God bless you. Thank you for stopping your day and making this a part of your routine. For the rest of you, God bless you too. You're doing the same thing. Uh, you just do it on, on your own schedule and I appreciate that. What's important is that you're in the word. That's what's important. I'm not important. Uh, but the fact that you're in the Word, that matters. And if I can stir your thoughts toward a deeper understanding or a deeper engagement with God's Word, then, uh, then uh, that, that's all I'm trying to do. Uh, I love you guys so much. For Thanks for being with me. Uh, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. We've been continuing this long story that started when Peter and John healed the lame man in the temple. Do you remember that? Yesterday, we talked about their interrogation before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. And now in verse 23, uh, Peter and John have been warned and released, and they go back and report to the rest of the church what has happened. Uh, obviously, this is kind of the very first opposition that the church sees, but it's only the beginning, uh, only the beginning of much, much persecution yet to come. And they seem to recognize that. This prayer is very sobering, I, I think. Uh, Peter and John come back. They talk about what the you know religious leaders have told them, and the church just unites in prayer. I love this. Um, as a church leader, as a pastor, uh, I don't know how to get to, to this level of of Christian unity, Christian devotion, uh, to be honest, just Christian seriousness. I, I hate to think that it takes persecution. I hate to think that it takes, you know, somebody holding a gun to your head to make you serious about your faith, but it almost seems the case because when believers are as comfortable and affluent and uh, privileged as we are, it, it doesn't seem to be good for the church or the faith, either one. Um, anyway, that's a separate sermon. So they, they go to the Lord in prayer. I love it. Notice how they go straight to Scripture. In order to understand their circumstances, in order to understand their present situation, they go back to Psalm 2. They pray Scripture because they see in uh, in the Psalm of David in chapter Psalm chapter 2, they see the sort of the prediction or the prophecy of their own situation. And they're able to say, you know, this is that. And I think it's amazing. I think simply speaking, that is the way we always approach Scripture. Right now, as you and I read the book of Acts and we see the early church, we should go, you know, we are they. You know, this is that. You know, that's the church, and this is the church. And, and we want to see some continuity. We want to understand that none of this takes God by surprise. And I think that's the insight they reach when you look at Psalm chapter 2, where it says, why do the nations rage? You know, why do the nations, you know, constantly, you know, come up against um, uh, the Lord and their futile plans? Why do they raise up against his anointed one, uh, his Messiah? 
I, I think the answer to that question is because that's what the world does. Why do the nations rage? Because that's what the nations do. And so the these early Christians who were first beginning to experience a persecution from the world, they just recognized that nothing new about it. David knew about it. David talked about it. It's in the Psalms, you know. And so for that reason, uh, as the Psalm in chapter two continues, God just laughs at the plans of the nation because God is sovereign above it all. Knowing that we pray to a God sovereign above it all, then how should we pray? Again, I think the prayer here is amazing. What do they pray for? What do they pray for? It says there very plainly in verse 29, and now, O Lord, hear their threats. Give us your servants, what? Boldness. What would you have prayed for? I mean, right there, if it were us, if it were our prayer meeting, what would we pray for? We'd probably pray for deliverance. We would probably pray for a change in circumstances. We would pray for some sort of favor or power over our enemies, you know, because that's how we think. But that's not how they thought. What they pray for is boldness. In other words, it's going to get hard. We're going to have to be tougher, you know. They pray for boldness. They recognize that even the persecution of the nations is going to be an opportunity for the gospel, and they don't want to fall short of that. Give us boldness, oh God, make us bold. Gosh, You've already said your prayers this morning, I assume. What did you pray for? Did you pray for God to make your day easier? Or did you pray that God would make you bolder, uh, stronger, better able to face difficulty? You you know, Uh, it's kind of the difference between us and our Americanized gospel and these earliest disciples who knew what the gospel was. They didn't pray for an easier time of it. They prayed that God would give them strength to face the challenge of their times. and, And I love that. So they pray for two things. They pray that they could show up with boldness, then they pray that God would show up with power. God, we will show up with boldness, you show up with power. And they see that as the perfect recipe for the proclamation of the gospel. We will show up in boldness, God will show up in power, and the gospel gets preached to the world. And honestly, these are these are the apostles, these are the believers, these are the first missionaries that literally change the world. And this is where it begins, a church in prayer, praying for boldness and praying for God's power. After this prayer, verse 31, the meeting place shook and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Some uh, scholars, some preachers have called this the second Pentecost. And uh, I, I don't see it though. It's amazing. You know, you know, there's this manifestation of God's power where it's an earthquake or uh, or whatever the house shakes. But um you know, it, it's amazing God's sort of answering their prayer early there with, with a show of his power, but um, it, it, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. If, if you read back through the Gospel of Luke and, of course, the book of Acts, this verb fill uh, is one of his favorite words. You know, when the woman anoints Jesus, you know, with the perfume, the uh, aroma fills the house. I mean, Luke loves this word. I'm not taking anything away from the filling of the Holy Spirit, but this is one of Luke's words and he uses it frequently. So you and I should be careful not to try to make it a technical term here. Uh, but nonetheless, I think there's a fresh filling here. Uh, it, it may not be so much that they got more of the Holy Spirit. I, I think once you give your heart to Christ, you get all the Holy Spirit that there is. You don't get the Holy Spirit you know, by the spoonfuls. 
but I think the truth is sometimes you need to stir what you got, you know. And I think this is a fresh stirring here, a fresh filling of the Spirit in order to, uh, again, in response to the prayers of the people and also in preparation for the challenges yet to come. The answer to their prayer is obviously going to be more persecution and uh, somehow, bravely, I think they understand that. And I think it's beautiful. Here at the end of chapter 4, we get one more of these summary statements that Luke gives us to sort of give, give us this picture of the church, you know, from like 30,000 feet. And once more, all the believers are united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own. They shared everything that they had. The, the Greeks had a real ideal toward friendship. And by ideal, I mean, I don't know if they even thought it was possible, but they always spoke of it, dreamed of it. Aristotle, I think, famously said that a friend or friends, friendship is where you have one soul dwelling in two bodies. You know, like you and I have the same soul, same heart, same mind. Uh, I think part of what Luke expresses here at the end of chapter four is this... Um, this realization of this Greek ideal, that, that what the Greeks philosophers talked about, dreamed of, spoke of, um, it has become real in the Holy Spirit. We have people uh, of very diverse backgrounds. Uh, we have all kinds of different men, women, uh, political, uh, racial divisions all come together simply by this unity that comes from the gospel and in the filling of the Holy Spirit. Man, Again, as as a church leader, as just a Christian, I, I want to be a part of that. Again, I, I don't know how. I don't know there's anything I can do. I mean, the Holy Spirit has to do it. But wouldn't you just love to be a part of that? I mean, just, uh, just for the Holy Spirit to make his dream of the church so real among us that it, that it, it changes the world literally. I love how the church itself is instant good news for the poor. And I don't have time to go into this, but you know, some people read this, you know, they had everything in common as some sort of like hippie commune or maybe some sort of early experiment in socialism where they just sort of, you know, had everything, you know, and then, you know, redistributed it. And that's not what's happening here. Notice that. Uh, the people do, they sometimes sell things. They sell their land or they sell their possessions in order to help those in need. But it's voluntary. Nobody's confiscating. You know, It's not obligatory. You don't get kicked out of the church if you don't sell your house. You know, Obviously, you know, later on, we're going to you know, come back to Mary, who seems to own the giant house that's sort of the headquarters for the church in Jerusalem. And she has a maid and everything. I mean, so it's not uh, obligatory that you do this, but... But many do this. I think it's beautiful that resources in the church flow toward need. You know, and again, in the United States, everything's so upside down and backwards. You know, resources flow toward those of us who already have so much. But again, it's instant good news for the poor. Nobody had any need among the church because the believers were so quick to respond. Man, if, if I've got it and you need it, it's yours. Um, again, it's not a political arrangement. It's a spiritual relationship. You and I are so connected that if, if you have a need and I have a resource and I'm telling you, then, then, then I share your need and you're going to share my resource. Uh, I, I, I wish that we could experience that once more. God help us. Uh, God, God help us. Uh, at the end of the chapter, understand uh, this flows right into the beginning of chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. So just suffice it to say that Barnabas at the end of the chapter is given to us as a good example. 
We've just talked about the church from 30,000 feet. This is what they were like. They were so united. They shared everything. And now we're going to zoom in. Here's one example. It's Barnabas. He's a good example. They called him the son of encouragement. He had some property. He sold it. He brought it to the apostles, gave it to the building fund. That's a good example. But what follows in chapter 5 is a bad example. We'll pick up right here tomorrow with Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. Have a wonderful day today. Uh, if, if you don't have anything to do tonight, come on out tonight at Woodburn. We have our prayer meeting at 6 o'clock. Uh, I would love to have you here. I'd love to pray with you. Uh, God bless all of you. Love you so much. Stay in the word and stay with the Lord. And I will see you in the morning, Lord willing, 10 o'clock for 2 and 10. I love you guys.